1: He e pūrangi irirangi o Aotearoa. and welcome to this hour Changing World podcast from RNZ with me, Alison Balance. Cast your mind back to the devastating Australian bushfires that destroyed 12 million hectares late last year. It seems a very long time ago now, but as the land slowly begins to recover, it turns out that there's still a legacy of those fires lingering in the atmosphere. I rang Niwa atmospheric scientist Richard Querell to find out more, and began by asking him where he
0: was. I'm in central Otago. I'm in a sleepout in my yard, hiding from my young kids. And I'm about 10 kilometres away from the Lauder Atmospheric Research Station where I work.
1: Now, in terms of science, and particularly atmospheric science, Lauder is a pretty famous place, isn't it?
0: Oh, yeah. World famous, arguably the best instrumented site in the Southern Hemisphere for atmospheric composition measurements. It's been there since the 60s, and measurements started with ionospheric upper atmosphere and then slowly got into stratosphere and down to troposphere. And basically now it includes surface work, like um, carbon flux balance, these kinds of things. So the the whole atmosphere is being measured by a variety of our instruments of our own and of some overseas collaborators who we host their, their hardware.
1: So what kind of things are you measuring? Carbon dioxide, methane, ozone are the ones that come to mind first for me?
0: Yep, those greenhouse gases, definitely, uh, but also measure solar radiation, properties of clouds, of aerosols. We've got instruments that look at the sun and look at the, uh, the absorption of the, the gases in the atmosphere, and then from that you can deduce concentrations. But we also have active instruments that shoot lasers into the air. Then you can measure ozone concentration. You can look at volcanic ash or smoke, like smoke from these bushfires, for example.
1: Now let's talk about that because it interests me that you've been following the smoke because that was a few months ago.
0: Yeah, well, the the bulk of the fires was was last year, and we saw one particular blob come over about fifty days. After it left uh, Australia, it went across the Pacific and then came back. And by the time it was back over us, it was uh, between 25 and 30 kilometers high, whereas initially the fire would have only put it to maybe 15 kilometers. And so that other 10 kilometers of lift happened with the sun, like the sun was heating all of the carbon aerosol and the soot that was in this cloud. And that's a very unique feature because that doesn't seem to happen for other kind of big plumes that you see from big volcanoes
1: that soot and the dust that was coming from those fires, it was dark.
0: Yes, uh, very strongly absorbing of, of sunlight, and so all of that solar thermal heating heated up the, the air parcel itself, and then that slowly rose. It's just kind of good coincidence, I guess, that this the material in this smoke cloud was light. Like, it was a very small particles, so it was easy enough for it to be buoyant. If you imagine that the fire hadn't been so energetic and the smoke didn't go so high it would still be kind of this wetter smoke like if you look at a big smoke cloud the majority of that's all water and so if you think of those particles having kind of absorbed some of this water they're heavier and they they just they they fall sooner gravity pulls them down sooner whereas since the fires had been so energetic it pushed this smoke up this kind of combustion material high up and it pierced up into the, into the stratosphere. So just above the, the troposphere up through the tropopause into the lower stratosphere and kind of dehydrated. So then all of a sudden you had all this soot material that was very dry and now light. And so it, since it was light, it was kind of floating. It was a bit more suspended. And then once the sun heated up this kind of really absorbing material that slowly start to increase its buoyancy and start to lift. And so it's since ascended another twice the amount of height. So it's up at, you know, some of that material is up at 32, 35 kilometres now.
1: Is that normal?
0: Well, normal as in this is a natural process.
1: Yeah, normal as in something we don't see very often, though.
0: Certainly have not seen this before. Um, there have been big fires before, fires that ejected material high into the air. But no, something like this was not seen as as far as i know i was trying to look back through other examples in the literature and i haven't seen any any like this when smoke is is put that high some of it must be kind of heated and moved up but it, i guess it all depends on what type of material is up there if it's just gases that aren't absorbing any of this thermal energy and so they're not not really getting hotter um the unique part of this is this carbon aerosol this kind of amorphous complex material that's up there that's absorbing like what we can just imagine is is soot, you know, like the stuff that's coming out of your chimney.
1: So this sooty blob, how big did it get?
0: Well, hard to say. Like, we saw certain filaments of it and different pieces of it because it, you, you got to think that the fires were going for quite a while and big patches of smoke and these clouds, they were going for months. And so all through this kind of the southern hemisphere, this, in the mid-latitudes, there's just pieces of it and pockets of it everywhere. The pieces that came over us... We saw them and they were maybe five kilometres thick, but that's just kind of like the bulk of the, the centre area. There there was a kind of a gradient, so it spread out. But what we had seen was about maybe five kilometres thick.
1: And stretching for quite a few kilometres in either direction.
0: Oh, hundreds, hundreds of kilometres. And by now it's since stretched out to be kind of uh, more uniform. Like You can still see higher concentrations, a patchiness to it, but it's indistinct now. Now it's kind of just spread everywhere.
1: So it started in Australia and then it headed across towards South America and then it rose and then it came back in our direction. Where did it go to after that?
0: Well, that particular blob kept going westward and then under South Africa, um, South America, and ended up circling around a couple of times, but has since become kind of more diffuse. But that's just one of these patches. There was other patches that went in other directions. Maybe they didn't go so high and so they've since mixed out and... um, you know basically kind of fallen out of the air or other ones are kind of at a variety of of altitudes so now it's sort of a smear up there now if if you look in some of the the measurements from satellites uh, nowadays
1: so how have you been measuring this
0: we saw it just by chance it it came straight overhead and so we ran our, our lasers and measured it we launched some balloons that went up right through it. So we, we launched balloons a couple days ahead of it and then one right through it and then a couple days after to try to see the differences to probe its boundaries. Whereas some of our colleagues who have instruments on satellites, they have just been looking at the carbon monoxide, for example, as one of the ingredients in this cloud. And so they were, they were looking at the carbon monoxide concentrations and seeing where that was going. And that's how they were able to trace this one particular blob as it went across the Pacific and then circled and came back. And so they alerted us several days ahead of time saying, this looks like it's right on track to go over your station. And they knew we had this wide array of instruments that we could really measure this and so they let us know, and it was it was great.
1: So that extra carbon monoxide in the stratosphere does that mean anything? Does that have any significance?
0: Carbon monoxide is something that's normally in the atmosphere, but uh, far more dilute, at least at that height. And so it reacts with OH, with hydroxyl radical, and it gets converted back to carbon dioxide. But how long that happens up at, at that height is a bit longer. Like we talk about its reaction rates, but that's more in the in the troposphere, lower down. Up there. Depending on how much of this OH is available, all of a sudden the carbon monoxide might end up staying there a longer time because there's, got, there's nothing for it to react with until that OH gets replenished by the natural processes.
1: Has it had an impact on other things up in the in the stratosphere? And I'm thinking things like ozone.
0: When this one particular cloud came over our station and we measured its composition, we could see levels of ozone that were low, much lower than normal. And we could see levels of carbon monoxide that were much higher than normal. We could also see high water vapor, uh, relatively high water vapor, because in the stratosphere, there's very low amounts of water vapor already. Uh, We could also see high N2O. And so some of these gases you wouldn't expect to see at those high levels. And so it pointed to the fact that it had started as this cloud at 15 kilometers, where some of these concentrations made more sense. And then that lifted itself as as a kind of continuous body. So it brought some of this low altitude air up to a higher altitude position. So now when it was looked at relative to the high altitude, all of these things were really anomalous, but not really, if you think about it, as low-altitude air having been transported upwards. So it's a combination of there's the transport issue, like you've brought this low-altitude air upward, but there's also some chemical processes that are happening inside that smoke cloud. So both of those are resulting in, in what we see there.
1: So the lower ozone, then, it's not a concern. It's nothing on the scale of the um, annual Antarctic ozone hole, for instance
0: no no it's not at that specific height it's a very big change 50% less but the amount of ozone at that height like the overall concentration relative to the total column is very small and so uh you're talking a couple percent difference over time a couple percent difference that starts to affect trends and has more climate impacts but it was contained within this one one cloud so it's it's unique because it, that degree of kind of depletion or of missing ozone at that height has never been seen before in in ozone zones sort sort of between this 25 to 30 kilometer altitude that's the unique part as soon as the cloud moved off and then you had the regular air around it those ozone levels popped back up to normal so it was inside that cloud as it was staying this uniform body there was this interesting chemistry happening inside that
1: are there any long-term climate implications for events like this
0: In some degree, yes. You can imagine that the aerosols up there, like the small particulate, it might stay for months more, years more. In the past when there's been massive volcanic eruptions, some of that material can stay up there for years. Uh, It'll have some effect on the radiation that's coming in because it'll it'll change temperatures of certain parts of the atmosphere. Yes, I can see how it would have some impacts. These fires are also a bit of a foreshadowing of what may be happening in a a warming world where there's more fires, more intense fires. We might see more instances of these massively energetic fires that push a lot of material up into the stratosphere. And then once it's up in the stratosphere, it can last a long time. Um, All of the weather as we know it in this kind of mixing, it happens in the troposphere. So that's the lower part of the atmosphere. As soon as you put material above that, it can last a long time. What's interesting is that these were specifically emitted at the end of December. And so we saw it over Lauder when it was just a few days old and it was much lower down. And so it had mixed through to the surface and we could even smell smoke. Uh, And some of our instruments saw very high carbon monoxide at the surface level. And so this is amazing after it's gone over sort of the Tasman. Then by good chances, the smoke ended up coming back over us another 50 days later. And so that's kind of a really unique natural experiment that you know, you have to try to take full advantage of, and that's why we we got everything measuring that we we could. That's just one patch, though, and so you have several other patches that have gone through their own evolution with altitude and over time. And so I'm not sure how representative this one specific patch is for the rest of this now kind of blur that's all over the southern hemisphere. But you can only measure what you see, so that's where. The ground-based measurements that we have are useful as these pinpoints, but it's also useful to have satellites that can give you a more global perspective.
1: So you're collaborating with people who are doing those satellite measurements?
0: As well as uh, with modelers who try to then piece together the measurements from satellite and ground-based to try to understand the processes involved.
1: And has the smoke stayed in the Southern Hemisphere? It hasn't managed to drift across the hemispheres?
0: I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, Not from what I have have seen. I I just saw a plot uh, that was data from last week, and it showed this faded blur over the whole Southern Hemisphere from maybe 30 degrees southward. But it's kind of hard to say because right now we're in sort of unique times in that the Northern Hemisphere doesn't look like the normal Northern Hemisphere atmosphere since they don't have all of the industrial activity that they normally do. So you know how you hear all these news stories about how all these places are unpolluted now, and they can see the Himalayas and things like that. That's unique, because normally they have much more uh, aerosol and kind of combustion materials in the atmosphere. And so that's what would be measured by some of these satellites. And so this image that I saw, it kind of shows a northern hemisphere that's a bit cleaner. And so all of this hazy smoke in the southern hemisphere really stands out. But I don't know on a regular year how distinct that would be. So, no, it's hard to say.
1: Thanks, Richard. Richard Querell is an atmospheric scientist at NIWA's Lauder Atmospheric Research Station. The polluting aerosols that he mentioned are at low levels in the Northern Hemisphere right at the moment because, of course, of the COVID-19 shutdowns. These aerosols don't go high into the atmosphere. If you head to our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World, you'll see an earlier image taken from space and showing data for the upper atmosphere for all of January this year. It shows a huge mass of bushfire dust across the southern hemisphere and, really interestingly, in the northern hemisphere, the lingering effects of two volcanic eruptions dating from the middle of last year. I'm Alison Balance in this Hour Changing World podcast from RNZ, first aired on the 30th of April 2020. To listen again, head to our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash Our Changing World. While you're there, why not sign up for our free weekly email newsletter? The link is at the bottom of the page. And on the way down the page, you'll notice that the show has a very extensive library of past episodes, which provide many hours of listening And I heard from listener Thomas that he's been enjoying the variety of topics as he has worked his way through the whole archive. Well done, that man. RNZ, Our Changing World, is of course available on your favourite podcast app. Stay in touch. We're on Facebook and Twitter as RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Stay safe and keep washing your hands. Catch you next time. Mā te wā.